So I'm going to launch right into the sermon. Get it, Mary. Uh, we're talking about Paul's letter to Titus. And, and this whole series, we've got a three-part series on the book of Titus. And, and in Paul's letter to Titus, he, the pastor that he left as overseer in Crete, has given us some insight into what we should look like as a church. You can turn to Titus chapter 3. That's where we'll be hanging out today. And I'm going to be moving fast, but I feel like I have a lot for you. Uh, Paul's instruction to Titus in part one, if you remember part one of our series, was to set the church in order. Remember he put Titus on the island of Crete with these newly established churches. He said, set the church in order. So we talked about how the church is both an organism and an organization. We need the spirit to lead, but we also need a system in place that keeps us between the ditches. Part two was about generations in the church. The letter to Titus in chapter two gave instruction to older men and to younger men, and to older women and to younger women, and how together we are the church. Today in Titus three, we see the church from a different perspective. We see the church in the world. And as I read from this passage, I'm gonna read I'm going to start with the first three verses of Titus 3. As I read, read this passage, in particular the first two verses, be conscious of the list of dues for the church in the world. Okay? Beginning in verse 1 of Titus 3. Put them to mind. Put them in mind to be subject. So again, Paul telling Titus to communicate to his church. Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. This is the what. This is the what of a believer. This is the what a churchgoer should look like in the world. Let's look at the list. Number one, be subject to principalities and powers and obey magistrates. I'm a firm believer that as Christians, we should be the best employees and the best citizens. Right? And if you're, if you're uncooperative at work, if you're a thorn in your boss's side, if your co-workers dread working with you, you're a lousy example of what a Christian is. Some people have an authority complex. There's, there's people that believe everyone in authority is an idiot. I never got away with that at my house growing up. We learned in a hurry, it did not behoove us to complain to mom about the teacher, the coach, or the boss. Mom would always take their side. Mom always saw the big picture. Mom knew learning the valuable biblical lesson of being subject to those in authority was far more important than our petty grievance. Much to my chagrin, Romans 13 takes mom's side. 
Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, it says. For there is no power but of God. The powers that be, hear me now, are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resists the power, there's a word we hear in the news, whoever resists the power, resists the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. And Peter took mom's side too on the issue of supporting those in authority. So whether it's the Donald or Barack Hussein, regardless of the person, regardless of the personality, Peter says, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Whether it be to the king as supreme, or governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. Listen to verse 15 in, in, in uh, 1 Peter 2. For so is the will of God. That's a very important introduction. For so is the will of God. You want to know what the will of God is? It's coming right, right now. For so is the will of God that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. How do you put to silence the ignorance of foolish men? With well-doing. As free, verse 16 says, not using your liberty, today's Memorial Day, we talked about freedom, not using your liberty or your freedom for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Honor all men, verse 17 says, love the brotherhood, fear God, Honor the king. Like the church needs order. Remember part one, we had the, the flow chart of central assembly. Society needs order too. We can't all be in charge. We can't all be the boss at work. We can't all be the mayor of the city or the coach of the team. And for specific periods of time, God allows certain people to assume those roles. And we are to be subject to them and work within the system that's in place. If society is going to function, those roles have to be understood. Christ Christians ought to be among those helping it to run smoothly. We should not be the ones obstructing the process because we would do it differently if we were in church. The church in the world, hear me now, the church in the world is biblically mandated to respect those in authority. And remember this, parents. If children don't respect you as the authority in the home, and if they're not taught to respect the teacher in the classroom, or the police officer on the street, or the boss at work, the reality is they will not respect the authority of God either. That's why this is so important. These lessons go far beyond the moment and the issue at hand. They drift quickly into the realm of the eternal. And that's why the enemy is so involved. Number two, be ready for every good work. Lots of the New Testament is about faith and grace and believing God, but James brings it all into balance. In James 2.17, he says, Even so, faith, if it has not works, is dead being alone. James says faith without works is just a bunch of hot air. Faith 
with nothing behind it is a, is a bunch of hooey. Calling yourself a Christian without some action to back it up is like a, is like a rain cloud in a time of drought that doesn't deliver. Or a check with insufficient funds to back it up. There are lots of Christians out there who talk a good game. I like the ones who walk it out. We're told in Titus to be ready for every good work. Does that describe us? Are we the ones who volunteer? Are we the ones that others can count on? Are we the givers and the supporters and the contributors? The helpers? The church in the world needs to be ready for every good work if we're going to be different from everybody else. Number three, speak evil of no man. Hear me on this one, church. James 3 describes the tongue. It describes it as an unruly member, and that it is. We often wield it like a weapon. James says that no man can control the tongue. It's out of control. It's a, it's a rogue member. There are times it seems it has a mind of its own. No man can tame the tongue. But there may be another approach that can bring forth better results. Matthew tells us it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. So rather than trying to control our uncontrollable tongue, we're better off to drain the swamp that it draws from. For what comes up the bucket is down in the well. The tongue spews forth what is overflowing from the heart. What if we surrendered our heart instead of trying to control our tongue? That means if we if we want to speak evil of no if we if we don't want to speak evil of no man, if we want to speak double negative, if we want to speak evil of no man, then we cannot think evil of any man. We have to change the way we look at people. As a Christian in the world, we ought to be the ones, we ought not to be the ones talking bad about people. We don't know the whole story. We don't understand the circumstances. We ain't the boss of them. And worst of all, we're hurting the cause of Christ who specifically told us, speak evil of no man, period. Let's assume there's more to the story that would help explain their behavior. Let's recognize that hurting people tend to hurt people. Let's give people the benefit of the doubt. Let's live and let live. God will judge. He will work it out as we walk it out. And remember this. Hear me now, church. You cannot say unkind things about another person without hurting yourself more than you hurt them. Our hurtful words are like a boomerang. They come back to the very spot from which they originate. Number four, be no brawlers. In other words, we're to be peaceable. Romans 12, 17 and 18 says, recompense no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it's possible, as much as lies in you, live peaceably with all men. In the Beatitudes, Jesus 
said the peacemakers would be blessed. Peacemakers would be called the sons of God. That should be us. We ought to be the ones easily entreated. We ought to be the ones that are easy to approach. There are, there are some out there who always seem to be embroiled in controversy, always in the midst of a skirmish, and always on the outs with someone. If that's us, then we have to ask ourselves, do we provoke that? Do we invite that? Do we incite that? Or are we peacemakers? Now, it's not peace at any cost. There, there are times to hold your ground. There's, there are hills I'm willing to fight for and even die on. But as much as possible, Romans says, as much as lies with you, if you can, live peaceably with all men. That's what the church in the world should aspire to. Number five, be gentle and slow and be gentle and show meekness to all men. I'm intrigued by the word meek here. It's a, it's a misunderstood concept, I think. First of all, it has nothing to do with, with weakness. Let's just get that on the table. Jesus is referred to as meek numerous times in Scripture. And, and Numbers 12.3 says Moses was the meekest man who ever lived. Jesus and Moses are anything but weak. I think the best definition of meek is strength under control. The church in the world should be gentle and meek. Jesus was always in control. He never lost it. Even when he was tossing tables in the temple, would have loved to have been there for that. It was all measured. It was strength under control. If you notice in Matthew 21, 12, it says Jesus overthrew the tables of the money chambers, changers. <clears throat> you get a run at that. He over, Jesus overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. Now I believe the writer of this passage, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, and here's one of the reasons I believe that that the version of the Bible that you read matters because the words matter. It's not just the idea or the concept. The words matter. But under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this writer was showing us that every move of Jesus was measured. His passion was present, but it was not without restraint. He turned over the tables of the money changers, but only the seats of those who sold doves. And I believe it was because the doves were in cages of some sort on the tables of those who sold doves and Jesus didn't want to hurt the doves. Jesus had tremendous power, but it was always under control. The church in the world should be strong but tempered. We're to be gentle and meek, and never mistake meek for weak. That's what the church in the world should look like. Be subject to those in authority. Be ready to back up your faith with action. Don't speak evil of other people. Be peaceable. Keep your strength under control. That's the what of what the church should look like. Now the reason 
that the church in the world is like this. The why is because we've been changed by Jesus. Beginning in verse 4 of Titus 3, but after that the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing, the regeneration, and the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Those five things from the first two verses, that list of things that we should do as the church, are a result of what Jesus has done in us. As verse 5 says, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us. We can't make a list of do's and don'ts. We can't hope to make a list of do's and don'ts and somehow hope to represent Christ in the world with that. Living for Jesus is more than what we do. It's a lot more than what we do. It's also who we are. Salvation is not a church affiliation. It's not a list of behaviors. Salvation is a born-again experience that turns us upside down and inside out. One of the perils of pastoring, this is my last sermon for a while, so I'm one of, the, one of the perils of pastoring in your hometown is that occasionally you run into someone that you went to school with. For me, that's a few decades ago. And sometimes I haven't seen them since. And they ask, hey, you know, what are, what are you doing now? And sometimes they have trouble wrapping their brain around what I do now because I'm so different from what I was then. Some, something happened to me, you see, in those intervening years. I'm not the same person that they knew back then. It's not because I bottomed out and I turned over a new leaf. It's not the result of some New Year's resolution. It's not because of some total makeover I decided on in midlife, but it's according to His mercy. It's by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. He took this old sinner and He saved me by His grace. He took what I was and He made me what I am. He took all of my selfish desires and He turned them into a desire to do His will. He took my heart of stone and He gave me a heart of flesh. He renewed my mind. He filled me with His Spirit. He set me free from every bondage and oppression. He took all my sin and cast it into the sea of forgetfulness to be remembered no more. He brought me out of the miry clay. He set my feet on the rock to stay. And that's rock with a capital R. Don't you see? Don't you see I'm a new creation? I don't do what I do in my own strength. I operate in the fullness and in the power of the Holy Ghost. I've been born again. I've been washed in the blood. I've been sanctified. I've been justified. I'm no longer subject to the law of sin and death. All because 
of what Jesus did for me. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And this life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and who gave himself for me. It's not about me. It's about him. I'm dead. I died back in 1983, and I continue to die daily. My life is hidden in Christ. He's my righteousness. He's my strength. All I ever hope to be is wrapped up in Jesus. I've come to this realization that apart from Him, I can do nothing. And with Him, I can do all things. We have this list of what the church should look like in the world. That's one thing. But it's the why that matters. The why is because I've been changed by Jesus. And those people that I run into from high school, if we spent any time together at all, they would soon discover that I'm no longer who I was. In fact, they wouldn't even recognize me. I'm a new creation. I'm a brand new man. Old things are passed away. I've been born again. More than a conqueror, that's who I am. I'm a new creation. I'm a brand new man. That's the why. The born-again experience is the only thing that can change you from the inside out. There are all kinds of other possible motivations that can modify your behavior, but only Jesus can change your heart. Only Jesus can renew your mind. Only Jesus can give you all new desires and transform you from a sinner into a saint in the twinkling of an eye in one glorious moment. Only Jesus can do that. So we've looked at the what and the why. Let me wrap this up by giving you the how. How to be the church in the world. Titus 3, beginning in verse 8, this is a faithful saying. And these things I will that you affirm constantly. Again, Paul to Titus, to his church, these things I want you to affirm constantly that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. But avoid foolish questions, genealogies, contentions, strivings about the law, for they're unprofitable and vain. A man that is a heretic after the first and second admonition, reject, knowing that he, knowing that he that is such is subverted and sins being condemned of himself. Five quick hitters here, how to be the church in the world. Five thoughts. As I bring this series to a close, and I'm going to do it in the form of a don't and a do, okay? So number one is don't love idols. That's the don't. Don't love idols. The do, love God. For the true believer, and this is, this is profound. For the true believer, the devil's hope is not in turning you away from God. It's in distracting you from him, right? Backsliding is not a decision. It's a process. Backsliding is a series of small compromises that take you somewhere you never intended to be. It's not usually open rebellion or even doctrinal failure. It's the cares of life and the pursuit of riches. The church in the world, that's you, that's us. The church in the world must keep their eyes on Jesus. Don't let the world's good supplant the best that God has for you. Stay close to Jesus, church. Don't drift into idolatry. Keep Jesus first. Do whatever you have to do 
to keep Jesus first. Number two, don't fight amongst yourselves. Love each other. There's way too much infighting in the modern church. Prosperity has a way of bringing out the worst in us. Nothing troubled me more as a parent than when my kids would fight. And nothing is more displeasing to God than discord amongst the brethren. The world is full of discord and unrest. Politics, union management, sports, the corporate world, it's all filled with competition and conflict. The church ought to be different. Let's let the world see how much we really love each other. By this all men shall know that you are my disciples, Jesus said, if you love one another. Number three, this is the how of the church and the world. The don't, don't make the lost your project. The do, love the lost. During our neighboring series, I got a little flack on saying this. We said the goal was not to lead our neighbors to Christ and it wasn't to invite them to church. And the reason for that is because if that's our goal, we've turned our neighbor into our project. Jesus just said to love them. No one wants to be your project, okay? Your coworker, your neighbor, your in-law, they don't want to feel as though you're talking to them or you're helping them with an ultimate end in mind beyond just caring about them. You've heard it said, they don't care what you know until they know that you care. And so it is. Don't make people your project. Just love them. The rest will happen organically. For the church in the world, number four, don't look bored. Love the adventure. If you're bored, maybe it's because you've grown complacent. If you're bored, maybe you're too comfortable. Maybe you need a challenge to help restore the adventure. Maybe you need to stretch yourself, like, like back in the early days of your Christian walk, when you lived by faith and you had to trust God every step of the way. Maybe you need to go on a mission trip. Maybe you need to be involved in ministry. If that's the case, then come and talk to me. I'll be back in the office on June 24th. <laughs> we'll figure something out. Maybe you just need to take the next step, like step out in faith and get a little beyond yourself or step up to the plate and do what he's calling you to do. Step through the veil and into his presence and discover all of the adventures that wait for you. Step into his perfect will where all of the action is. Step over all the hurdles that hinder you. Step over all the obstacles that intimidate you. Step down from your place of comfort and privilege and get your hands dirty again. Christianity is the ride of a lifetime, but you have to step into it. Christianity ain't boring. Embark on the journey. Enjoy the ride and love the adventure. Come on, man. Number five, don't preach. Invite. Now, I know there are occasions, I suppose, when people have a great, epic, spiritual question and they genuinely want to talk. That happens. But for the most part, I think they're uncomfortable with those topics. So don't preach at people. Just invite them. Invite them to church and to lunch after. Or you can invite them to a connect group. Or you can invite them to watch a softball game on a nice night. That's why we put that information in the program. 
Another option is to invite an unchurched couple and a churched couple over to your house for game night. I love it when two worlds collide. <laughs> invite. But don't preach. Instead, create an on-ramp. Invite. So that's the how, those, those five don'ts and do's. And take note about how it all flows through love. Remember, God is love. Love isn't an afterthought with God. Love isn't a hobby with God. Love isn't what he does. Love is who he is. It's his nature. The Bible says God is love. What, what's the substance of God? What makes up God? Love. So the church and the world should love God. We should love each other. We should love the lost. We should love the adventure. And we should love the Sunday experience enough to invite people along for the ride. Christians must live in the world, but they do not have to be of the world. You're the church in the world. It's up to you to walk it out. Lord, I pray for the one here today that needs the why. They probably get the what. They may even get the how. But they need the why. They need to be born again and washed in the blood of the Lamb. There's no formula for that. It's just an encounter. This wonderful moment when you surrender it all. And you say, Jesus, have your way in me. Renew my mind. Transform my life. Have your way in me. And if that's where you're at today, my encouragement would be to talk to somebody. Anybody that's on the platform would be happy to talk to you. You saw the deacons earlier. Talk to those guys. Find your way into the next step. Discover the great adventure of loving and serving Jesus. There's nothing like it. May the Lord bless you as you do so. Thank you, everybody, so much for coming to Central Assembly and worshiping as a family.